0: Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Casper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to episode 129. And tonight we have the second fresh five of the year, um, covering roughly the months of June through November of 2021. Uh, for those of you that are new to the podcast, the concept here uh, has become a tradition twice a year is... Frank ends up, um, you know, during these episodes as he's watching movies, picking basically the best five movies or maybe six. Um, that he's watched in the past like six months or so. Um, it's regardless of genre or year of release. So it's just kind of as he's watching movies. We've had movies from the 70s on here before. It just so happens that most of these movies are from the past uh two years tonight. Um, but it's a great opportunity. It's always something I look forward to because we do have newer movies. Um that I tend not to watch as many new movies as they come out. Although I think I'm getting better with that, Frank, over the years. Um, watching yeah. some newer stuff. But um still a lot of times these are movies that like um I probably wouldn't have watched unless Frank um made me and um they're always good list um overall. So I'm I'm excited to talk about these movies tonight. Uh just before we get into that though, um I just wanted to kind of plug at the beginning um rather than the very end of the podcast. Uh we have just wrapped up The Quick Cage uh, episode 91 was released earlier this week. It'll be the last Quick Cage episode. Um, We will be reviewing Cage movies. Frank will be reviewing Cage movies, Um, not me, Um, next year when new movies come out. But um, he wants to call that the Continuous Cage. So um, they will be released under the same feed. And I will be making all those Quick Cage episodes season two here in the near future so that they will kind of be separated from the primary podcast um, of Two Guys Five movies. Um, and I'll still release those under season two in the future. But big accomplishment for Frank. Um, 90 91 episodes and what, like a hundred and. Hundred and some, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. hundred and some movies. Ridiculous. Um, and yeah. Um, Yeah, so that kind of wraps up that supplemental podcast for the year. We will be back next year with a new concept for a supplemental midweek podcast. Um, In terms of the primary podcast, uh, this is the last kind of like uh, episode of the year in terms of our traditional, traditional top fives. We move in in two weeks to cover the our year-end list which is covering movies from 50 40 30 and 20 years ago so it'll be the best movies of 71 81 91 and 2001 that we'll be covering for the rest of november and december um and then we will have our special bonus episode um at the end of the year which we said on the quick cage is going to be talking about batman returns um as our kind of christmas movie um at that point we'll give more information about the supplemental podcast for next year. And then finally, because it seems like we're just doing all the podcasts, um, our most recent episode of the best 30 minutes that we do with our what does call us? Um our like guildmates or I can't remember what he calls yeah, us. Yeah, guildmates sometimes. Yeah. Life um partners. life partners this week, yes. Um, uh with um our friends Mike Bledsoe and Orion Melmaker, um, of YouTube's Battletoad Overload, uh, we covered our top, different for us normally, where a lot of it is about life experience, um, we ended up covering the, uh, our top five albums of all time, and, um, which is a strenuous kind of, like, ordeal that made us go, like, an hour and a half rather than 30 minutes for a podcast for the first time, um, but, uh, really interesting discussion there as well. And you can find that under the best 30 minutes. Um, and I would put in the word the, if you're searching it into pretty much every podcast engine, Apple podcast, Google podcast, Stitcher, and any kind of podcatcher app. All right. I think I'm done plugging everything. That's probably the first time I've actually remembered to do it in the beginning for the, I don't know, two years. So, <clears throat> Good job. I, so the, um, the fresh five, Um, i know that you're always like watching new movies frank so before we get into the list was there anything that like came close to making the list that you wanted to go ahead and uh talk about um
1: there was actually a movie i watched uh wednesday this week called deep house or the deep house that for about 35 40 minutes i was like man this is crazy that I didn't see this in time to put it on the list, but it kind of falls apart a little bit. So um, still worth watching. If you like um, horror, found footage horror, uh, it's five ninety nine I think, to rent right now, um, but it's worth a watch. Um, movie from earlier in the year called False Positive. Um, Pierce Brosnan and, um, man, what's that lady's name that's in it? anyway it's a rosemary's baby type horror movie that i really enjoyed um a movie called the eclipse that came really close to making the list like probably would have been on the list if i wouldn't have decided to go a different direction um what's that guy's name kieran uh K- kieran murphy right no Kieran Hines.
0: Oh, Kieran Hines. Oh, oh, yes, this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. This yeah, is a good she always movie. always forgets what this movie is called, but it's oh, yeah. Kieran Hines. And, um, shit, what's that dude's name?
2: Aiden uh, Quinn. Yeah,
1: Aiden name? Quinn. Um, Low-key uh, ghost. Not even really a horror movie, more of like a drama that just has supernatural elements, but really good. Definitely worth watch. watch. Mm-hmm. Um, an older movie from a few years ago called Diary of a Teenage Girl which is kind of like a more aggressive ghost world in a lot of ways, um, that I thought was really fantastic, had some great performances. Um, Honestly, I just kind of forgot to put it on the list, but now that I'm looking at the stuff that I watched. But that's also pre-streaming on Prime, so definitely worth a watch if you're interested. Um, And then I thought about putting uh, this movie called Underwater from a couple years ago on the list with um, Kristen Stewart. Kirsten Stewart, every say her name. Um, really good, like Lovecraftian underwater horror movie. Uh, that's got a lot of like good tension to it. Um, and it's really interesting in the set design and the costume design. And it's got some good performances. Um, but again, just slightly didn't make the list in lieu of other things. Um, obviously the top five, but I've watched a lot of decent stuff this year. Um, Actually, there was another movie too that I, I watched last weekend called Sleep. That um it was just a little too it felt a little too cheap sometimes for me, but um I still really enjoyed it. It's a Scandinavian, like Finlandian horror movie. Um very lynchian in its execution. If you get the sure. chance to watch it, you should watch it. Sure. Um I was streaming it on Arrow. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere else, but um, Arrow has it for free. If you feel like paying four ninety nine a month to subscribe to Arrow, which, in my opinion, is one hundred percent worth it, because hmm. their selection of horror films is pretty ridiculous. But um, yeah, so that's it. Okay. So there's um, like additional seven movies right. that, if you have the time to watch them, you should check out because they're all worth watching.
0: Yeah, I really like that Eclipse movie a lot. Like I um. <gasps> sorry i'm still sick a little bit <laughs> um apparently
1: those are nick cage noises
0: our friends, right um yeah i really like that eclipse movie a lot it was one of the few things like i have such a hard time like not pausing movies and stuff like that um a lot of times and not breaking it up probably because i've developed some sort of like you know um like weird attention like thing as i've gotten older but um and life getting in the way but anyway like i watched that outside um uh during the summer i guess and like just like watched it like straight through outside except for coming inside but even then i was on my ipad so i just brought it inside with me to pour my drinks and then went back outside um but yeah really great movie i really like that a lot so
1: yeah, it um, it really came out of nowhere for me, and I guess it's what like seven years old or something. But no,
0: it's two thousand nine.
1: Oh, okay, so really old. Yeah. Um, no fanfare with it. I've never heard anyone talk about it. I just randomly was like, "Oh eh, fuck it." I like these actors. I'll just watch it one day, and I'm um, really impressed with it. So yeah,
0: yeah.
1: All right. If there's a five A, it's definitely the Eclipse, and then it's I think it's still streaming free on prime if you have prime so
0: yeah i think so i think i've seen it in your watch it you might watch it again category or something like that Show up. all right you ready to jump in then let's do it all right so number five on your list is zola from 2020 it is directed by janixa bravo it stars taylor page riley keogh nicholas braun and coleman domingo it has an 88% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 68% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why it made your list? Surprises
1: as low as an audience score as it is. Um, So based on a series of tweets um, from an actual uh, exotic dancer from a few years ago, um, this is a story of uh, Zola who's a um, part-time exotic dancer, part-time waitress, um, lives with their boyfriend in Detroit, and um, meets this uh, other exotic dancer, um, Stefani, who's uh, Zola's a black 20-something um, lady. Stefani's a white 20-something, um, much more abrasive and kind of... Um, base in her language, I guess. I don't know how to say yeah. that like right. being like super kind of racist. But um so they've fallen with each other and they become friends over the course of like an evening. Um Stefani says, hey, I have this opportunity to go down to Tampa to strip. You should come with me. We can make a bunch of money. Um so Zola like pretty much immediately jumps at the opportunity. Um immediately has some regrets because she's picked up by Ex who Stefani introduces as her roommate, who's obviously like a pimp, um, and her boyfriend Derek, who's this um, almost like borderline autistic, uh, just withdrawing, like wilting flower of a kid, um, who tries to act like he fits in, but obviously doesn't fit in, and is obviously being used by Stefani for some reason. Um, so they get to Tampa, um, they basically lock Derek in a seedy motel, um, and then go to the strip club where X sort of tells them that you're going to um, do what I tell you to do and not have any complaints. Um, so they dance at the strip club, and then he takes them to a hotel where he tells them they're going to sleep with men for money that he's set up, um, which Zola immediately denies that she... She refuses to do, but Stefani's into it. But Stefani's doing it for like what is it, like fifty dollars or something, like a man or yeah, something like that. It's, yeah, it's
0: ridiculous. So it's Zola,
1: despite her um, surface, despite her initial disgust at the actual situation, is even more disgusted at the fact that Stefani's being sold for so cheap. So sort of takes over the pimp duties while they're in the hotel for the night and. Makes them, what is it, like $10,000 or something like that mm-hmm. in the course of one evening?
0: Yeah.
1: With all these guys. I mean, a really sort of funny, but really kind of like disgusting and sad scene where it's just all these different men like coming in and having sex with um, Stefani. Um, X makes them go to um, another uh, hotel um, where they've been set up by these two dudes that Derek had thought he'd become friends with but have sort of just taken advantage of them um, where they hold Stefani at gunpoint um, but X comes and sort of rescues him I guess um, in a way um, and shoots the one dude um, I don't know it's hard to explain without like going in-depth into, like, the dialogue in the scene, it's a pretty funny scene, but it's also, like, a really disturbing scene. Like, that's kind of the gist of the whole movie, is there's a lot of stuff that makes you laugh out loud, but it's just so, like, disgusting in its portrayal of humanity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so they get away from the people that were trying to extort them, and end up going back to X's house that he shares with um, this woman who's... I guess is like bodyguard slash lover. Um, Derek's all upset because Stefanie is supposed to stop sleeping with men for money, which obviously she has no desire to do. Um, so he throws himself out of a balcony um, in protest and ends up hurting himself pretty badly. Um, so in the end, they're driving uh, Zola back to Detroit out of Tampa. Um, Stefani, like incredulous to the idea that Zola doesn't want to be friends with her anymore despite all the ridiculousness that she's put her through over the course of the night. And then one of the best parts of the movie is it ends with um basically the movie starting over, but from Stefani's point of view, where she's this innocent, um, I don't know what you would call it like religious like ingenue. And Zola's the one that was like the terrible person that had all these bad ideas. Um, with the line of dialogue, what is it, let me tell you, about how me and this bitch yeah. stop being friends or something like mm-hmm.
2: that?
1: Um, really well acted. Like I said, there's a lot of parts that make you laugh out loud. Um, even though it's kind of like moderately in disgust at the same time. Um, I think it's really well paced. Um, I'm not a huge fan of fourth wall breaking much in movies, but I think it's done to pretty good effect here, like showing text message conversations and Instagram posts and tweets and Tumblr posts and whatever, like just kind of like chronicling the entire engagement, like the entire trip through their social media because that's such a big part of their lives. (laughs) Um, Riley Keough is pretty fantastic and being both um, like kind of a disgusting human being but also a person that you legitimately feel sorry for and her Stefani character like someone that is obviously a victim of circumstance in some ways but also leans into that circumstance and is just as much like an abuser as the people that are abusing her um I think that, uh, oh, what's her name? Um,
2: talking about Taylor Taylor Page. Taylor Page, yeah.
1: Um, does a really good job of Zola. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, just generally, it's a really well acted movie. Like, again, like for every time that you laugh out loud, like you kind of feel sort of some loathing for these people. Um, some self loathing sometimes, for as much as like you're laughing at their plight, but also just like somehow we're discussed for just how loathsome they are as human beings. But at the same time, like they have their own moral code, and especially Zola, who's, um, you know, obviously, like no matter what, she's still concerned about looking out for this person who's in a bad situation. And despite the fact that she stuck her. It's Stefani's fault that she's stuck in the situation. She's still not willing to, like, abandon her, like, give up her own base morals to um, get out and get away. So I think it's a pretty fantastic movie. Um, It's one that I looked at for, like, probably a month and thought, like, nah, like, maybe I'll rent that someday. And then it was, like, I don't know, $3.99 one day, and I was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to watch it because... I tend to enjoy most A24 movies. Um, this is an A24 movie, uh, by the way. Um, I tend to enjoy most A24 movies, and I was really pleasantly surprised. It was um, um, much better than what I thought I was going to get when I first put it on. So,
0: Yeah, I thought this was um, one of the more... refreshing movies that I've modern movies that I've watched in a while. I like some of the movies you put on the fresh five lists, you know, in the past couple years, like with young talent and some of the, you know, particularly like horror thriller directors that you like, um, that are younger. uh, Like I've seen like a lot of like people that have promise and Janigza Bravo definitely is someone Based on this movie that has a lot of promise, like behind the camera, um, I'm it, it makes me really interested to see like what her next movie is going to be, and it's like some somebody that I would watch the next movie no matter what the subject matter is, just to see how she's doing. Um,
1: yeah, ag- agreed. I mean, it's um, <clears throat> again, like I'm not a huge fan of the fourth wall breaking most of the time, but I think it's. I think every time it's done here it's done really appropriately mm-hmm. and it's never something I made this complaint in Snowden to refer back to a quick gauge movie, but Snowden does this where they'll like put up like images of like a text message screen or somebody like programming on a computer and it's so invasive and it just completely like removes you from what you're watching in the movie and I think that however she does it and I can't pinpoint like the exact technique that she used, but it doesn't happen here where it like just feels like it's part of the narrative of the movie and it's an important part of the narrative of the movie so mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's the best use of social media and cell phones maybe that i've like seen in terms of like modern technology so far like of integrating it into a movie um fairly seamlessly um like it's it, it's it's really impressive to me because I I haven't seen it done this well in any movie. Um, and like you said, like I I thought the thing that was fabulous is balancing the horror of the experience and like the seriousness of that experience, um, like with the comedy aspects of it. And a lot of the comedy, I mean, the comedy comes from two places really. It comes from Nicholas Braun's as Derek. Who's who? He's he he's most well known for being what Greg in Succession, um, and like plays a similar character in Succession. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's his like kind of like being a doofus is is funny. It's sad, but it's funny. Um, He's he's a pretty talented actor when it comes to that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, and then it's like the comedy between the differences between the. Zola and, you know, the the Stefani character, um, where they, um, like, the difference between the two of them, Um, and, like, a lot, in a lot of ways, the flipping of what would be perceived by, you know, maybe people that um, wouldn't know any better would be, like, the flipping of stereotypes in some ways. Um right. where it's the Keo character, it's like you know, kind of using like more of like you know that urban dialect a lot of times and kind of appropriating that um, where you know, Zola is more well spoken and more thoughtful and knows how to get herself out of situations and um, she's actually helping the Keo character like despite her protestations, like you said, like become like you know basically, Um, you know, overtaking the pimp duties like I think is like this. Yeah, I mean, it's a stroke of brilliance, like to some degree, is that like she, she knows what things are worth, Um, right? And 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 despite despite being so, um, you know, against it, like you know, also doesn't want her to be used. Um, and I do think that there's like to some degree, I especially from the Keo character. I do think there's some affection that builds from her to Zola. Um, I don't know if it goes the other way at all. Um, Zola just wants to get the yeah. hell out of the situation. But Zola's, I did... Zola's disgusted with her. Yes. She just can't let another human
1: being, like... Mm-hmm. She has to, you know, has some base humanity, whereas um, Stefani doesn't understand what friendship or... Humanity is so dark. Like you know, this bitch is like my bitch, and
0: right, and uh, and 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 Zola has to stand up basically for her gender, (laughs) like too, like against like this piece of shit, like pimp, um, who Domingo's like everybody's good in this, but Domingo's really good in this, um, playing that pimp character, like he. It's just the right amount of like menace to him that like without being a stereotype, um, <clears throat> and it's like he rides that line really well. Uh, but yeah, I I, I really like this movie. I found it enjoyable. It's another one I was able to just sit down and watch like all the way through. Thought it was well paced. Thought it was interesting. Kind of didn't know what I was watching for a while or like what to expect out of this, and um, was really surprised and, and pleased with it. Um, you you mentioned the critic. The critical response from audiences, um, honestly, it's pretty puritanical um, in the idea that there's like too much sex or like quote nearly pornographic. Um, I so uh,
1: far from like, I mean, it's it, it 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 references sex and whatever, but it's like it's not exploitive at all. It's just telling a story about you know a situation that actually happens. So that's yeah, that's right. I mean, I guess I get it. And it's probably also skewed by the fact that this movie had the unfortunate luck of being released during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. the audience that watched it is probably
0: skewed somewhat. Sure. Sure. I would guess. Yeah, I think we'll see that um, in a couple of these movies later, too. Um, where that's that's a snap point. Um, but yeah, no, a uh, great movie. I, I like, I think it's a young, up and coming director that um has a lot of talent and uh a good debut kind of like you know in a a lead role for taylor page and keo's building a pretty good resume for herself um overall so um yeah a lot of talent here cool that's probably probably my second favorite movie on the list here um honestly you know, it's funny that you say
1: that, um, you talk about like the, maybe the role reversal or perceived role reversal just in the, um, the way that, that Stefani talks. And, um, it's funny because like working in the warehouse industry, especially down in the that mm-hmm. area that's like adjacent to a city, yeah. you, you, you see that a lot. I mean, there's a lot of like, um young white girls and young white males that like adopts a certain way of speaking. That's probably more to make them seem like more streetwise and tougher than they Mm -hmm. actually are. Right. As opposed to being, and it becomes just like their natural pattern of speaking. And Sure. it it took me a little while to get used to it. I mean, I really kind of noticed it at first in, um, working in the movie theater industry around cities, but, like, I don't know, it's become second nature. Like, I just... I don't know. Like, that it, it, it infiltrates my um, speech pattern sometimes, honestly, as well. Sure. Uh, like just yeah. because I guess you're around a certain patois long enough. Yeah. They just kind of adopt it, so...
0: Yeah, there, there are certainly, like, words that I use or ways that i say words you know we were talking a little bit about that on the best 30 minutes but it's like you know growing up in like kind of like a a mixed neighborhood um there are certain speech patterns at times that still come out to this day that i've developed um and you know um yeah i mean you end up just kind of like taking those things in i think like even when you're older, like you still start taking them in and replicating them in some ways, just because that's the milieu that you're in and the culture, you know, the way people speak and stuff. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. You find it closer to the cities, I guess. All right. Um, So number four on your list is 2021's Candyman. Um, It is directed by Nia DaCosta. It stars Yahya Abdul-Medin II, Tayona Paris, Nathan Stewart-Jarrett, and again, Coleman Domingo. It has an 84% from critics and a 72% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this sequel and um, why it's on the list?
1: Uh, So a true sequel to um, the original Candyman movie, um, it follows, uh, um, shit. On, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Anthony, uh, who's a visual artist, um, in the same Cabrini Green area of Chicago, except that Cabrini Green has been, um, turned into a um, upscale, whatever you want to call it, like, um, Almost like yuppie, like, like bourgeois neighborhood, um, in reference kind of to the original where um, Virginia Madison character's apartment was basically the same thing as the apartments in Greedy Green, just you know in a different neighborhood and charging, you know exorbitant amounts of money more. Um, you have this gentrification of the neighborhood that the original Candyman takes place in, um, where he's there and he's a up and coming artist um his fiance i guess she is she's not his wife but his fiance girlfriend um is heavily involved in the art world and um he's on the verge of like a breakout um exhibit where he can kind of like write his own ticket so in the course of um so i want to talk a little bit and the reason i put zola and Candyman back to back with each other is i think that there's an element of cultural appropriation that happens in both sort of Mm -hmm. um, as an undercurrent and again it's like sort of like the Stefani kind of is like culturally um, appropriating like black culture the whole reason that Anthony is driven into exploring the Candyman mythology which is the crux of like the action of this movie is because these white upper class like art snobs are kind of like well you're not edgy enough Like, we want to see more... We want to see more... um, Blackness. But, I mean, it's
0: basically, blackness. We want to see more. Yeah,
1: like, you're not... There's nothing about this that speaks to the streets or that speaks to, like, urban decay or violence. Mm -hmm. Why do you not have this in your work? So, he starts to research the Candyman legend. And another really cool thing about this movie is that it takes the idea that the Candyman legend is this transmutable, like fluid thing that moves from incident to incident of people that were wrongfully killed by, um, basically like white white on black violence over the course of time in this area of Chicago and moves it into the Candyman mythos. so whereas you th- you're thinking that the story you're going to hear of candy man is the story of the tony todd Candyman, um you know the the artist who falls in love with the white woman and ends up getting killed by um her father in an angry mob you instead hear the story of this guy who's um mentally handicapped who happened to give candy to everybody and had a was missing a hand um that was wrongfully killed by the police because they thought that he was what was a murdering children right at the time mm-hmm. was the thing like he was yeah. a child child right. murderer, whereas in reality he was just an innocent guy. But it's like that death, that wrongful death, pulls him into this um this like living mythology that exists in this area of like these these candy men, so to speak. Um, so Anthony starts to research that part of it meet some people that knew what had happened in the area. Um you find out over the course of time that he's um uh his mother lives in Chicago still but his father had killed him so his father was an artist and he killed himself right isn't that right? Yes. He killed himself it's it's been a while since I've seen this movie at this point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so just like with Virginia Madison kind of getting sucked into Candyman, like, forcibly pulling her into the world of Candyman. The same thing happens with Anthony, um, except it's not the Tony Todd version. It's this newer, I guess, like, in between version. Um, And you find that the Virginia Virginia Madison character, fuck, I wish I could remember her character's name. um,
0: Virginia Madison? Yeah. Helen. Helen is her name.
1: Right. You find out that Helen really, like, is still considered to be like a killer and had murdered um the child in the um the housing project and killed the dog and like all the things that you see in the first movie were the result of the Candyman, and that the child actually lived um so things start to affect his life both uh, metaphysically in terms of like him seeing things and um, things happening around him and also physically where he gets a a cut on his hand that ends up like growing an infection and um, eventually causes his hand to you know like fall off basically um, the people that are trying to use um, him and his girlfriend's ethnicity to sort of like bolster their own art sales they end up getting killed for their transgressions which again Maybe a little heavy handed, but I think also the commentary on like, um, you know, these white, not not even white, but like people with a lot of money and power, um, kind of like cannibalizing, like the traditional and natural art of uh, the urban, um, urban areas in order to whatever, and even like cannibalizing the urban areas themselves in terms of the gentrification, um. The one thing that I I don't know if I would say the one thing that kinda of comes out of nowhere in this movie is the idea that um there's this guy that's sort of like trying to create or like maintain the candyman myth. Like he's runs a um ah, shit. Um dry cleaners or a laundromat sort of. Yeah. Um and he's trying to like keep the candyman myth going by getting Anthony to like basically be the victim and be the new Candyman, which in the end he succeeds in doing. And as um, these police have Candyman or Anthony's girlfriend, um, he basically comes and kills them all. And then you see the Tony Todd character and the other Candymen are there. And um, you get the impression that it's this like long line of recurring violence that has caused these men to, kind of continue to exist and like haunt this neighborhood. Um, so I read a decent amount of reviews of this movie. Um Some of them negative in the direction where they felt like it was trying to be too woke and some in the opposite direction where they felt like it wasn't, it didn't try hard enough to address things like, Um, white on black violence and black lives matter and cultural appropriation and gentrification um i found that it's like to me it strikes a really good chord between those two positions while still telling an interesting story like my biggest fear about this movie when i first read about it was that it was going to issue um any like horror just to try and beat you over the head with its um, whatever, its social message Mm -hmm. but I don't think it does that Um, I think that it does a good job of telling a sequel to the Candyman story Um, and I'm just going to spoil this because whatever I think it's important, it turns out that Anthony is the child that was in um, that Helen saved from the bonfire at the end of the first Candyman, that he's he's that kid that's like grown up now, and it's one of the reasons why it's like important for him to continue, um, you know, continue, kind of like that tradition, really. But like, it's an awful tradition because it requires the almost the sacrifice, almost the willing sacrifice of like young black men at the altar of like being a boogeyman for white people and almost like an ins- like a boogeyman but like on an inspirational sense for the black community um almost being like a rallying point that protects them and keeps them like doesn't like you you can never become complacent or feel like things are okay because like you know at any moment you could be killed by these people that just see you because of the color of your skin is a threat. And on the other side, it keeps white people out of the area in some ways because of the idea that like, well, like that urban, the urban myth that like, you know, like you're going to die if you go into these black areas or whatever. So, and I think it does that. And I think it tells that story without being like super um, heavy handed about it. Um, I like the performances in it a lot. I think the direction is really good. Um, the only thing that I think is a little silly about this movie is the Candyman murdering all the young white girls at um, the high school. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's I, I I think I I understand like why it's there because then that. Like gives the police a reason to be in Cabrini Green, like looking for Anthony, um, as the guy that's supposedly, whatever the um, the perpetrator of that crime. But it's still just kind of silly, I think. Other than that, I thought it was a really good movie, and I really enjoyed it all the way through. I'm looking forward to watching it again someday. Um, I actually may buy it on Blu-ray because I have the first Candyman, so it would be nice to have them both.
0: Yeah. Whenever. I have to rethink a little bit of like what I thought about this movie because your your description of this um sounded much more interesting than the movie I watched. <gasps> oh, <yeah. laughs> um like I agree with you on your your interpretation. I don't think that it's I I think if anybody thinks it's too woke, then they are um very sensitive. Um, if they right. think it's too woke, um, and 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 I don't think that it isn't woke enough. So it's like I don't understand those criticisms. I think that's like putting political, socio political, common, like you know, like um, a bias, like onto the top of this movie in some way. Like I, I think trying to be more objective about it. I think it, it hits the right chord in that way. Um, I think that. I think I don't like I there's things I don't find interesting as much about this movie as I did about the original um, in terms of some of that commentary. I. I think the I don't think it's heavy handed, but I think it's a little stereotypical. The way the kind of like. Kind of appropriation is dealt with in this movie compared to the first movie. Like the first movie, feels I mean I'm sure this happens like you know like with these like white art house you know like like art gallery like sure. owners like doing this stuff, but like I thought it was such a more interesting story in the first one of like the graduate student making their name, and maybe that's because I understand academics better than the art world, but it's like the graduate student making their name off of like like black tragedy, it, it, like the. Yeah. That that makes that that feels a lot more real to me than this art ga- the art gallery thing and the gentrification of the neighborhood just feels like it's been done to death to some degree anymore to me to where it almost feels like a stereotype. Um, so I I, I, thought, I thought the social commentary was a little bit more interesting. Look, this is still a really important topic, and it's even interesting in its own right. What you were describing about the way that all of these figures end up becoming part of the Candyman legend and kind of morph into this like singular narrative of you know um white injustice towards black men. Um you know and I I think that's all really interesting and important. Like I just thought that like compared to the first movie I thought there was a much larger intersection of race and a better portrayal to some degree of like the class and gender aspects of things that like make it such an interesting movie. Um that being said, I like the socio-political stuff in this movie. I I think that it's uh, that it's really well handled. I think it's the fact more than anything, I guess I just was like, okay. (laughs) Like I I don't dislike the movie. Like I I I think it's good. I think it's really well filmed. I think the costas direction is is really well done in this um yeah yeah abdul madin is kind of uneven at times throughout the movie i think in the performance but i mean overall the acting is solid and um I, I just think that it's because it turns into a slasher movie like and 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 f- a fairly stereotypical as you pointed out with like the high school stuff to me like a fairly fairly stereotypical slasher movie and I thought those aspects of it just kind of because I have such a problem with those movies, like, just being such the same thing. Like, there's times it just felt like that's what it was. And I think that's probably what bothered me more than anything, where I'm just like, okay, well-filmed, looks nice, well-paced even. Yeah. But it's just kind of like, oh, okay. So, I, I think one of the things that I took
1: from it that it maybe made me like it a little more and, like, read a little more into it was I felt like, and not in terms of how it looks or even that it's even expressed here, but I felt kind of like a um, a spiritual connection to Basquiat in the way that, um, hmm. especially in the way that like he's viewed by these vultures, basically.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. That his art is okay at one moment and then not okay, and it's really just... I don't know. I yeah. I think that's a really interesting idea when you think about like like that insidious appropriation where you're still you're ostensibly elevating the black artist or the not even doesn't have to be black but like the the outsider artist you're elevating them into your art world but you're like you're the one profiting and you're the one stealing like their art for your own gain and ultimately you know like taking the houses from the people who lived in that area and changing the community and making it like different and more expensive where people can't afford to live in that area and we we see that where we live all the time here where there's parts of this county that we've grown both of us have lived the majority of our lives in that you never would have been able, like if you like anyone could have afforded to live in 20 25 years ago and has been so changed that it's been priced out of the realm of people that originally lived there sure so sure. I don't know yeah I think if I I would like to someday watch both movies back to back and look at those parallels because I really think that DaCosta Costa is purposefully aping not aping but like Paying homage to different things in the first movie without making it so obvious that it just feels like, you know, it feels like homage, I guess. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Could be. I thought I was going to really dislike this movie, I'll be honest with you. And I was afraid of watching it and was so happy that I enjoyed it from start to finish for the most part. Even the slasher stuff with the girls in the bathroom, I think is funny, kind of. Um, I just, I, I think you can remove that subplot and get there in a different way, and it would still be okay. Yeah. Um.
0: But and yeah, see, definitely. That's really interesting because actually, like, it, it's it's an interesting thing because like you get into that idea of expectations, and it's like I thought I was really going to like this movie a lot, and I just ended up thinking it was okay. So I, I think expectation you take into a movie sometimes can, can really, um. Can't play a determining factor. I, I thought I was really going to think this was really good, and I, like I said, I don't dislike it. I just think it's it's okay, like a six out of ten to me, like something like that. Like, um, still the best Candyman sequel. <laughs> like, yeah, hundred percent.
1: Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I, again, I think, and we we've talked about this dozens of times on the podcast at this point, but. I think that when something has a very strong internal mythology that it's automatically going to make me mark out a little more to it Mm -hmm. because I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Like I'm so infatuated with like that idea of like a filmmaker creating this deep mythological connection to like something else or even just within Right. Its own universe, and I don't think that that affects you in the same way. So,
0: yeah, I'm not sure. I think it does sometimes. I think it depends on what it is. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting claim. I'll have to examine that more. Um, yeah, no, I mean it. It's worth watching, especially. I mean, if, if you're a horror fan, that's I think it's worth watching, especially if you care anything about. The Candyman series, or the first one,
1: yeah, it's, um, it's one of the best pure horror films of the year,
0: and folklore. Like you know, I mean, like that's one of the brilliant things about Candyman in general. Because I really, after watching it a couple times now, once for the podcast, and once before we did it on the podcast last year, like I, I really love Candyman a lot. Like that first movie. And like the folklore aspects of that, it's fascinating to me, like the like almost like the, like the academic study of the Helen characters like dueling into this legend and how folklore builds over time and stuff like I, I find that shit really interesting. And I think this does a really great job of like pulling that aspect of the folklore into it. I think the investigation's kind of lame. Like honestly, like um, that the the Anthony character goes on um, compared to the first movie. But I, I really like the folklore aspect to like that you described and how they build like on that folklore and then pull the socio political commentary in through that folklore. Like it's it's really fascinating stuff. So, like well, I said, your I, your description of it is much better than what I what I feel I watched.
1: <laughs> that's the thing is that it's like here's this thing that happened that you may or may not have heard about. And over time it just becomes like, oh, well, that's, that's Candyman. That's when Candyman comes around because it's part of your, your own like childhood mythology or whatever. And I don't know, like I, like I always say mythology, but folklore is a better way to put it. Um, I, I, I agree. Like I I love that idea of like shared folklore and it feels like this is just a different interpretation of almost the same story like building upon it because now it's been 30 years or 20 some years since the original came out um and people have like lived and grown and that area has changed and you know what i mean like mm-hmm. people have moved and carried that idea to like other parts of the city and i don't know like i really love that idea and i think that it's um even though it's not perfect and like there's obviously some flaws to the movie i think it's well done. In the context of how DaCosta does it. So, yeah.
0: No, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So, we're going to move on to another horror movie here for number three on your list, which is um, lesser known, uh, called Jacob's Wife from 2021. It is directed by Travis Stevens um, and it stars. Legend Barbara Crampton, Larry Fezzidin, and Bonnie Adams, It has an 86% from critics and a 61% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this um, kind of like hidden gem here that's on Shudder and um, what it's um, uh, why you like it so much?
1: So, to me, this might be my favorite pure horror movie of 2021. Um, it's at least up there. And this is. Well, that's so interesting that you describe it as a pure horror movie. Okay. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, whereas I think there's some other things that are like hybrid horror or they have horror elements but are something else maybe. Uh-huh. This this is the pitfall of A of A twenty four, as much as I love them as a production company. <laughs> is they're gonna give you shit that like it looks like it's horror but it's not, or it looks like it's something else but in the end is like truly horrific. Um, whereas Jacob's Wife is to me straight up like a, a horror movie. Let me, um, let me, well,
0: before you describe it though, let me let me tell you this though the, the the number one complaint from audiences, yeah, is that this is too much of a comedy, like that it's, that it's a horror comedy and the comedy goes too far and it's not enough horror.
1: Yeah, that's silly. I think that comedy is an important part of like classic horror, really. Interesting. I mean, when you watch the slasher movies from the, especially from like the eighties, most horror there has an element because when everything's dour, you get Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, mm-hmm. and it becomes something that just like it's a movie that like sits on your chest. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, it's just it's oh, like oppressive, oppressive yeah. almost, right? So most like really good horror. Even if you don't hundred percent realize it is going to have some element of release like throughout the movie where you're like, okay, like I can laugh a little bit or I can let go of like the tension that's being built by the movie. I mean, some horror movies are shit, but a good horror movie is gonna have, you know, like those elements to it. Great right. and I think that's an important part of this movie because I think there's like truly some horrific stuff in this movie. But it builds like a really good and Barbara Crampton is amazing in this movie and gives so much personality to this character yeah, and is so perfectly counterbalanced by Larry Fessender's um, Jesus-loving, uptight, like, traditionalist. And really, I mean, that's the story of the movie, right, is it's a woman who's older and who wants to explore more things and feel things and have adventures and Fessender is a, a what is he, a pastor, I guess, right? Or a minister uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, who just like is fine with the status quo and he loves his wife, but he like just wants to maintain his position as, you know, a religious figure in the community and live this like kind of like boring, like stayed lifestyle. And it does all that against the backdrop of vampirism, you know. Um, so, Barbara Crampton's character um, is an unhappy, um, I would say, like, late middle-aged housewife. She's probably in, like, what, like, her early 50s, I guess? Yeah. I don't know if they ever say
0: exactly how old she is. They do we'll,
1: we'll, we'll say she's in her early 50s.
0: Her I husband's mean, it, boring they've been married for like thirty years, so I assume it's in the fifties probably yeah you know?
1: yeah, she's bored and she has the ability to meet up again with this man that she knew when she was young that she was attracted to ostensibly about this um uh fuck uh, real estate deal to invest in this old abandoned factory and kind of turn it into. some sort of, like, space for... I can't remember exactly. It, it's like some like the revitalization of this old um, industrial area of a city and turning it into something else and bringing, like, artists and whatever there. Sort of similar to what we just talked about in Candyman in a lot of ways. Um, but she thinks that... She, like, harbors this secret desire. You feel that there's going to be some kind of... Um, affair between her and this man, and he obviously wants that to happen too. When they start to kiss each other, and then it's fucking vampires. They're in this, in this, um, this factory. Um, she gets uh, bitten. Um, she basically starts to become a vampire, and then the storyline is between: does she embrace these vampiric powers, and kind of like? get her wish in a lot of ways, which is to live like this different and exciting life. Or does she kind of turn against it and stay with her husband um, who genuinely loves her, even if he's a boring man, like he still is a good man and one that loves her. And then the subplot is the fact that they're trying to hide these corpses and people think that they're murderers um, because of course, nobody is going to believe that vampires are real. Um, so there's some really some really funny elements to it. Um, I love the way that they make the vampire look, kind um, of like that, um, very much, almost like a traditional like Nosferatu style vampire, but also like not attractive at all, like just this creature that it it looks parasitic. Like, it, it It looks like a cross between, like, a person and a mosquito almost, or something. But the attractiveness is in the fact that it's immortal, and, um, so in the end, she stays, it, stays with her husband, but then they have to basically find a way to live with her vampirism. Um, and yeah, I, I, really great performances um out of all the movies on this list i think this is the easiest to watch and the most fun to watch um it's the least like problematic i guess or complicated um but really great performances i was really surprised at how much i liked it because i am not a fan of vampire movies necessarily but i really enjoyed this one
0: um yeah Sorry, I had myself muted because I got redneck shooting off fireworks like around here in November. But um while you I were describing that. Day, um, no. um so yeah, this this is a solid movie. I really enjoyed watching this on um, myself as much as I like a lot of Barbara Crampton performances and um oh Jesus now these fireworks got me distracted. Um, but what's his name, Frank? All the movies, the guy, the director that she does all the movies in. The body horror dude. Um, Are you talking about um, Reanimator?
1: Well, Reanimator. Um, <laughs> God damn it. All I can think of is Brian Usna. Um,
0: <laughs> right. The Society. See, I can remember that, but I can't remember this dude's name. Anyway, like um Stuart Gordon. Stuart Gordon, yes, thank you. Um, as much as I love like her performances, like, you know, like throughout like the late 80s, early 90s, and Stuart Gordon stuff, like I think this is the performance of Barbara Crampton's career. Um, honestly. Like, and like I know that you like the movie from a few years ago. What's the name of it? I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. The one Is that also Pheasant that's in that, maybe? Like, the the husband and wife that move into the house that she's in.
1: Oh, We Are Still Here?
0: We Are Still Here, yeah. Yeah, I
1: fucking love that movie. Yeah,
0: like, and I think she's really good in that. But it's like, she's somebody who's, to me, like, really, really found nuance with age. Um... Where some of her earlier performances, like, you know, maybe like lack nuance in certain scenes, possibly, but it's like, I think she's somebody who's really found nuance as she's gotten older. And, um, I'm also familiar with Barbara Crampton because she was on the bold, the beautiful for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, this came on air for the young and the restless. And, um, you know, so when my, I started watching those with my grandmother, when I was a teenager, like she was kind um, of came in playing like the, um, you know, the funny, like the redneck, um, the redneck mother, like that comes in the town, like they like abandoned her daughter, like, uh, right. and um, and I always like thought she was really good there, and, like stood above like a lot of the cast, like um in that show. So that's actually like even though I'd seen Reanimator by that point, like like basically it was Reanimator and that that I knew her from until you made me start watching some of other Gordon's other movies over years and um yeah it's really interesting to see her career trajectory like this is like not a well-known movie like whatsoever travis stevens i don't even see like where he's directed anything before um like a feature film but damn if this isn't a solid movie i think um it has like a decent sense of humor about itself while still remaining a horror movie um a really look you're not going to like this comparison whatsoever you're going to absolutely despise this comparison but it's like to me this for vampire like a vampire story does what season of the witch did for coven stories back in like the early 70s of like telling the strong feminist like you know like tale of the housewife who is like overcoming um you know like all of like these like obstacles like societal obstacles um and personal obstacles like working against her and i um yeah i i i really enjoyed this a lot i thought it was i thought it was a solid movie it's not going to set the world on fire it's not like you know but it's it's a solid movie
1: yeah I, um i agree um i don't like that
0: uh, I made Frank put his fucking tongue like inside of like his um inside of like his lower lip on that one. It's <laughs> <That's> true.
1: <sighs> I wish I could watch. Like I, I'm never watching that movie again. Ever, no. The, oh, somehow,
0: man, I don't think you are.
1: <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I really would like to put we're still here on a list sometime mm-hmm um because i fucking love that movie i've I, I really I mean. watched we were talking the other day just randomly about movies we've watched more than 50 times um and then i said like if it was more than 30 like here would be my list i've legitimately watched we're still here probably five or six times hmm. um and for being just like this random mid-2010s horror movie like there's so many things about that movie that I absolutely love and I think are totally like perfect in terms of what I love in horror in general. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a better movie than this movie is. Like, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, this, it's uh, this one is one of the best
1: horror movies of the past 20 years and nobody like knows talks it. about it at all.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, but I I still even based on that, I think this is uh Crampton's uh I think this is like the performance of her career so far. Like
1: it's a really great performance. Yeah, and it's got a element of like sensuality to it, but it's mm-hmm. also got this like I don't know how to describe it, like um, like sad, like faded romance to it. Yeah. Like, she just, it's, it's just this genuine, like, warmly human performance where, like, you legit kind of feel for her and all these changes she's going through. And you're you're sort of rooting for her to succeed in a lot of ways, I think. And I think that Larry Fessender is um maybe one of the more underrated talents in, like, genre films over the past 20 years, just because he's directed and done production design and acted and he's just he's kind of just omnipresent but in a really subtle way throughout like horror over the past like 20 years and definitely a dude that um
0: because every time that's directed wendigo right yeah yeah
1: it's i i need to watch that movie again so that movie's free on to be perhaps Somewhere it's free right now. Um, maybe it's on like IMDb TV or something. But anyway, like I didn't really enjoy it when I first saw it, but I would like to give it another chance. Right, just because like in the ensuing years, like seeing him in so many things, I've really come to appreciate like what he chooses to act in and what he chooses to. Lend his name to, and I I think he's a really um really interesting guy.
0: Right? Yeah, because we just talked about him recently. He has a very very small role in late phases. Um, but yeah, he's very particular about like I think he knows his. I think he knows his what what he's capable of and what he's not, kind of. Um, and 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 chooses accordingly based on that. Um, he's a very
1: very unique um look to him as well. So it's like he definitely I don't know how to say it. There's definitely like certain roles that he's that are custom made for him in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and he certainly I think like excels when he gets those roles, right? Um. Yeah, yeah, really great character actor that I, th- now, another guy that I think is just kind of underrated or maybe not doesn't nearly have the um, the cachet or whatever that he should.
0: Right, as talented as he is. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. Agreed. Um. But yeah, this is a solid movie. Uh, it's on. It's on. Sh- I think it's Shutter exclusive, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's on. It's on Shutter. Um, or I guess probably. I guess AMC Plus. It's on AMC Plus. As okay. Well. All right. Um, which is a trick if nobody knows that, like that Frank Frank is utilizing now, which is if you just subscribe to AMC Plus, you get all of AMC's catalog and most of Shutter's catalog. You think?
1: I haven't found anything yet that isn't there.
0: Okay.
1: Um, like I went on Shutter today and just saw what was new to see if I wanted to resubscribe to it, and I went to AMC Plus to see if it was there, and it was all there. Okay. So. All
0: right. So yeah, there's a little trick for you if you don't know it. Um, AMC Plus. Um, and now it's doing AMC Plus. I told you. Now you can watch Mad Men. So, um, I can. Yes. Um, you can. Um. <laughs> Okay, you you explain number two to him, Frank, and I'll introduce them after you're done. But I, you tell me, you, you explain to him your your cheat and um and and then, um, what order you want them to talk about them in, and I'll introduce. Them.
1: So, the two films that are at number two, um, are together not because they're, uh, tonally similar or, um share any kind of real like narrative hook or whatever um, really it's just they're both A24 movies that are gorgeous and slow paced and I think that like the so I made the Fresh 5 list what like 3, 4 weeks ago I gave you the final Fresh 5 yeah. or maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and at that point I had seen both I had seen both of these movies But the one movie I may or may not have fallen asleep while I was watching Uh um, in the movie theater. And friend of the podcast, Jason Heaster, mysteriously, like, I don't know how it happened. He allowed us to watch this movie again. Mm -hmm. Um, So in watching it, I was like, you know, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. And I like it just as much as the other movie I put on the list. Um, and then you texted me today that you, you know, would actually have it on the list instead of the number two movie. And I was thinking, you know what, like, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I think that they both belong. So,
0: okay. So Let's which one you, Which one do you yeah. want to talk about first? Your original number two or the one you just inserted? Today?
1: Just go ahead and introduce them both and I'll just go back and forth between them.
0: Okay. All right. So at jointly at number two on the list is... Uh, 2020's Lamb, directed by Valdemar Johansson. as stars Numi Rapace and Hilmer Snare Guttison. Yeah. It has a 84% from critics and a 61% from audiences. Those Icelandic names are tough, man. I had to listen to Guttison yeah. Gut- Gut- so many times to understand what was being said there. Um, and then... I- Huh? I need to put some more uh, Bergman on here for you. (laughs) Um, And then uh, 2B or whatever, 2A is uh, 2001's The Green Knight. It's directed by David Lowry. It stars Death Patel, Alicia. Vikander, Joel Edgerton, Sarita Chowdhury, and Sean Harris. It has an 89% from critics and a 50% from audiences. There you go.
1: All right. So, Lamb is the story um, of this childless couple that are farmers in... The Scandinavian Mountains, I, Finland, I guess, Finlandian Mountains somewhere. Um they raise sheep, and one day um a baby is born to one of their mother's sheep, um, that has is partially human, so it has like a human body with a lamb's head and a lamb's um like front forepaw. Um, so they decide to raise it as a human child, um, which they do. Uh, the man's brother comes in and he's kind of disgusted that they're raising this child and this this creature that he considers it in this way. Um, he's kind of a scumbag because he's trying to uh, sleep with the wife. And this sort of implied that maybe at one point they may have had some sort of relationship before she got with her husband. Um, because she was like wilder in her younger days and the brother was <laughs> one of the funniest scenes in the movie. The brother was the lead singer of this like, um, emo electronica band in the nineties that had like some kind of like hit on the radio and they're all singing it and dancing and it's, um, uh, kind of surreal. Um, she rebuffs the brother's advances and she tells him like you have to leave like it's no good for you to be here i love my husband um and the husband is you know like a really good guy and he's like loves the child like they both love their kid um even though it's not a traditional like human child like they both have affection for it and it seems to have affection for them and then there's a goat man that comes and murders uh the husband and takes the lamb kid, and that's the end of the movie, basically. So, that kind of comes out of nowhere. Then on the other side, you have um, uh, the Green Knight, which is a very loose telling of the um, Gowan and the Green Knight, uh, Arthurian legend. Um, but from the perspective that these knights aren't like these... Infallible, um, I don't know, like iconic heroes that should be looked up to that they're just men. Um, Gowan is definitely portrayed as a man um, and and eminently fallible um, who ultimately has to go on this mission to put his neck on the line against the Green Knight um, in repayment for him. Chopping off the Green Knight's head during Christmas the year before, um, he goes through the countryside and has a series of different like encounters um, with different ghosts and thieves and magical creatures like through um, uh, through the countryside. Is ultimately given this belt that will render him invincible when he wears it um, but then in the end when he's presented with pairing um, his neck for the night um, initially you see him where he keeps the um, the invincibility sash on um, and it leads basically to him coming back and becoming king and like in place of Arthur and sort of his whole kingdom falling into ruin um and him having a miserable life and then it cuts back to him deciding to take the sash off and just be honorable and expose his neck and then the knight coming down and like going boop and um that's the blow that he gives him and letting him um keep his head and go back to uh Camelot, I suppose they never call it
0: Camelot, but um yeah, they, they didn't even call the King Arthur in it. Yeah. They call him Arthur at one point. The character's not listed as King Arthur. It's What's just the, list of it's the king. Most of those characters end up having like um different names. Like um like it's just like a, a generic name as opposed to like a real name.
1: I mean so the opening scene of this movie is is a voiceover where it says um what is it? There's a wondrous tale of a boy who pulled a sword from a stone, but this is not that tale. Mm-hmm. This is a different king. Um, so even though there's a lot of supernatural elements to the Green Knight, it does ground it in the reality of um, this is like a different universe than the normal Arthurian um, universe that you're like used to seeing movies about. So let's talk about these two movies because I want to talk about them side by side in a lot of ways. Oh. Um, A24 has this amazing ability to find movies from filmmakers that are almost unparalleled in their visual like, mastery. Like the way that people film movies. that A24 grabs these movies that are just Stunning to look at. Like you think about things like The Lighthouse and Hereditary and um, The Witch and um, these two movies together and just wait a, wait a lot of we
0: talk about waves on the podcast. And yeah, waves, waves is an amazing like visual experience, I think. I mean, um like fuck, what else? We've talked about so many goddamn um Movies from A24, I mean, like, they have, like, such a, like, great list. Um, Like, things that I didn't even know were A24. Green Room is A24, um, which has a unique look to it. Um, (laughs) Yeah,
1: Green Room is uh, hard to watch.
0: Moonlight, which won Oscars. Um, Yeah, I don't think you still haven't watched that by Bear Jenkins, but Moonlight is... I watched
1: Moonlight, it's really
0: good. okay. All right. Um, Black Coat's Daughter, which you love from Oz Perkins. Yeah, Blackfish um, daughter. Definitely it comes. It love. comes a night that you don't like, but I think it's fucking fantastic. Is um is good. Um, I still haven't watched Killing of a Sacred Deer. Lady Bird. Um, it's like they they have this track record of just like really nice looking movies by like real directors and real artists. Yeah, yeah. Ex Machina, Person
1: mm-hmm. Reformed. Both mm-hmm. of them mm-hmm. are. So anyway, so. Even though A twenty four isn't necessarily a production studio, they have a really great talent at finding these films that have unique visual looks to them. And both Lamb and Green Knight, Lamb, in the sense that it's just it's so wide open, like every shot just in cap just captures so much um, of these mountains in the back and the, the streams and. Even inside the house, it's like it feels like it just feels open and expansive, and it's. I I know it's just because it's a, it's a world that we're not really familiar with, you know, in this continent necessarily, Um, and we don't really get a lot of movies from, um, like Troll Hunter, I guess, from about ten years ago, but mostly you just get, you don't really get to see like this. Landscape and films from this area, right? And I, it's it's gorgeous to look at. I mean, like the can the cinematography in Lamb is almost unparalleled to me. Um,
0: the exterior is absolutely good.
1: the story itself. So it takes a really long time for anything to happen in Lamb and a lot of that is like it, it'll it build a slight amount of tension and then it kind of like pulls back on that tension a little bit and has like a goofy scene or a almost like inconsequential scene and then it builds again with like sounds outside the house or in the darkness or you get the impression that there's something lurking but then it like pulls back again um and honestly when it gets to the point where um, Sater dad I guess I don't even know what to call it like pops up with the gun and murders the father it's almost funny because it's kind of jarring really mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like the idea of and it kind of goes back to sort of what I like about um, Zola and Candyman is the idea that these two people like were they stole this 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 baby from its mother and murdered the mother so as to not feel guilty about stealing the baby because they don't view the animal as being anything but their property, like a creature that they can do whatever they want with. Sure. So they've murdered this child's mother in cold blood so they can keep the child for their own. So, it's entirely understandable that the satyr man or whatever comes back and murders them, or murders him, to take his child back, like, in an eye for an eye sense. Sure. Um, I think it's cool that, like, it's never explained, that it's just kind of, here's this thing, and I'm sometimes a big fan of that, and sometimes I hate it. But in this sense, like I really enjoy that idea that, like you know, you never know like what that creature is. Like it never explains what that creature is. You don't get any kind of like backstory or.
0: Well, I'm assuming it's the father, right? Like it has to be. Like I mean, of course,
1: not, I don't mean like that. I just mean yeah. like. Where does it come from? Is it some kind of mutant? Is oh, some sure. Kind of... There's
0: this like supernatural thing that you don't understand, right? Like you know, like yeah, like
1: mythological creature. Sure,
0: mythological. That's probably better. Like, so I've agreed with everything you said, and the the longer I get away from this film, the more like I'm less keen on it. I think, and it's it's the movie I would have like left off this list probably, like if it were me. And and I think this is the reason is that like. I laughed when the Seder man like shows up or whatever, like and like just shoots him with a fucking rifle. Like it's stupid. Um, and look, this movie's really pretentious. Like I think sure. this movie's beautiful. I think that I was actually captivated by most of it. Like I think I think the runtime's a little long for what this is. Um, like I, I think you can trim. Like especially in the middle of this movie, I think twenty like, minutes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, th- this doesn't need to be any more than 90 minutes, like, for what it is. And, so. but here, here, here's my thing, is, like, we've talked about this before, this idea of, like, what's going on on the screen and the through line of, like, what's, like, happening, like, you know, on some kind of thematic level. And I'll be honest, like, you know, it's like, I don't know what the fuck's going on on the thematic level here. It makes sense for quite a while. Where it's like these are two people that's like relationship is broken because obviously either they that they lost the child at some point, and scary. right okay, and it's like because they had the baby, I know that they're like you see the um crib and everything and you know, and then it's like okay, so they get this like other chance, and then it's like I'm even I'm on board throughout all of this, right? Like where it's like okay, and they get this other chance, the 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 lamb's mother like is you know like following him trying to get her you know her child back basically and then the mother like shoots the the the, you know the the goat and like you know like lamb whatever and it's like okay i'm fine with it all until this point and then it's like the brother comes in he's freaked out by the whole thing and that's kind of funny and disturbing and whatever and i think they do a really good job with the cgi and the child itself of like not making it too sweet and still creepy a little bit but like like they they, they do a really good job with the way they portray that like child like you know that can't speak i, I think they do an excellent job but and then it's like you get to the end what the fuck is this movie about like seriously what's the ending about here like you can't tame nature or something like that or nature will oh. like oh god <laughs> okay like, it's it's a really disappointing ending to this movie in the, in the long run. Like, even without, like, the funniness of, like, Sater Man coming back with a rifle. Like, it's just a really, on a thematic level, it's a really disappointing conclusion in this movie.
1: I mean, I like the ending better than you, but I agree that it was not exactly the conclusion that I was anticipating.
0: And overly pretentious with it's like, oh, what what is her reaction and like what is what is looking into the camera mean it's like ugh, okay come on like come up with a better ending that's like a Michael Crichton ending fuck that fuck that ending
1: <laughs> alright so let me move on to the green light okay Um yeah, let's do that so and then I wanna I'm gonna I'm, 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 I'm gonna tie them together in a way that you're not anticipating right <laughs> okay now. um or maybe you are and you'll be like yeah I thought the same thing you asshole um So the Green Knight, again, is um, Gowan, his travels, you know, to go to the Green Chapel um, to present his head to the Green Knight on Christmas um, as repayment to a game they played on the previous Christmas. Um, Along the way, he kind of gets humbled by these thieves who steal his sash and kind of tie him up and leave him for dead. Um, he helps to sort of right the wrong of this spirit that um was, like, raped and murdered by these people. And he kind of corrects that wrong there. Um, stays the night at this um, manor where basically everybody wants to fuck him, I guess, kind of. Um, and that's where he gets his magic sash. Um, one of the weirder scenes in the movie, his sash is imbued with his own, like, bodily fluids, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um that'll prevent him from ever being like harmed or whatever. Um where and again, like I've already said this, he ultimately goes to the chapel and presents his neck, and then you get the two different futures that could possibly happen. Um number one, this movie is fucking gorgeous. Uh even the scenes that are filmed in the muck, because it's definitely a movie that embraces the idea that the Middle Ages were not like necessarily a clean place for people to live. Um, it is a fucking gorgeous movie. Um, every scene in the movie is infused with like richness and saturation and color to the point where it's it's almost too much to watch sometimes because like everything is so gorgeous and it that it's like. I don't know. It, it's it's almost an assault kind of in that way, mm-hmm. but right. ultimately I like mm-hmm. um, I feel bad that I fell asleep watching this in the theater because when I watched it again I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I love the performances in it. I love the um...
0: Out of all the reviews that I've read out of this one thing I'll say about the performances real quick is People don't mention Deb Patel enough in this and how good he is. Oh, Deb
1: Patel's amazing. He's, he's, I mean, obviously, because he's playing um, Gowan, but he's. So many people talk about the
0: direction game. like you did, but it's like Deb Patel's really good in this fucking movie.
1: He it, It's good in a really subtle way, too, because mm-hmm. he goes from being this aimless, feckless. Um, overly confident jerk basically and goes through this whole transformation of like being humbled yes, and then being humbled again and then not learning from those humblings and having this terrible future and then learning from them and having like the better well you don't know what the future is but like right. ostensibly like the actual you know Future of Gowan, which is to go back and become a knight and be the Mm -hmm. ground knight for one of the ground knights for Arthur. Um, but yeah, Mm Devon Patel is really great in it. Um,
0: Sean Harris, I also really like a lot in this. Um, as King Arthur, I like, I the only thing I know this guy from is um, the a couple of the Mission Impossible movies, later ones, but um. He brings a menace to Arthur that I've never seen before.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I a menace, but also a frailty. Like, you can uh-huh. tell that he's he's at the end of his... And we've... I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this on the podcast, but we've obviously... What I'm about to say, you and I have talked about innumerable times in real life. Uh-huh. I mean, he's... Ulysses, um, you, you know? Like, he's... right. The aged king, basically, that has been in power for so long that he doesn't even relate to anyone else around him anymore. And is just hoping, like, he's, like, you know, basically, like, kid, like, just go and do something that you and I can talk about. Right. So I can let you become king at some point. Yeah. Instead of just being this, like, waste that goes to his whore every night. like drinks and sleeps through mass and i don't know it's but it's it, and it's really well done in the sense that it doesn't like beat you over the head with the story either or any of those points mm-hmm. like no one's really ever coming out and saying hey here's the narrative here's the story eh. like you mm-hmm. kind of have to right just sort of intuit a lot of those things through dialogue and narrative events which you know is the way that i think movies should be generally Sure. Um. But ultimately, like, I, I, again, like, I slept through a lot of this movie the first time I watched it because it really is visually demanding when you watch it. And it, it, it it made my eyes tired, like, seeing it on the big screen and just kind of having it, like, and I'm really bad about that anyway, just because, like, um, oh, yeah,
0: you get, you get into a movie here and you fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the comfort of the seats mixed with like, the darkness of the theater. And, this, like, and the so darkness, natural, I think, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I can sit and watch like six movies back-to-back in my house, which is more comfortable than a movie theater and like not ever fall asleep once, uh, or very rarely. Um, anyway, so here's my point about these two movies, and I agree with you that I think The Green Knight is the better of the two i think that it speaks volumes to how great a company a24 is that they're willing to take the chance to release both of these movies in wide release theatrically because ostensibly like neither of them is going to scream you know big budget hit or anything you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. neither of these movies is something that you would look at and say like hey this is definitely going to make money but it's like they have so much courage and so much, like, confidence in their convictions in the sense of, like, standing behind these challenging, unique visions of, of modern filmmakers and allowing people like us, whereas, like, 15 years ago, you never would have seen a movie like this in a theater around here. Like, it just wouldn't right. have happened. right. Because there wasn't a studio, it wasn't even that there wasn't, like, movies that existed, it was, there wasn't a studio willing to do it, and they would have gone to the Ritz. We would have had to go to, like, Philly or Voorhees or, yeah, you know, down to Baltimore, like, the Charles sure. or something, to see a movie like this. Whereas oh. A24, in the past 10 years, has made these, like, challenging, complex, beautiful art house films. Something that you can just go to a movie theater and see, and I think that's I think it's amazing and I think that is.
0: And I mean just just listen to the stat that is I easily pull off wiki, but it's like Lamb in the United States and Canada debuted at one million dollars in five hundred and eighty three theaters, finishing seventh. And again, COVID numbers, right? But it's like but it's the best ever opening weekend for an Icelandic film in the in US history. You know, I mean and like whatever I think about the ending of that movie, it's like it's it's, it's a fine movie, right? Like I mean, yeah. it's a good movie, like uh, like you know, for most of it. And um, it's it's beautiful, like the direction and cinematography is amazing. And uh, yeah, like that wouldn't have happened. You're right, all those years ago.
1: Yeah, I honestly, feel like it's one of those things where, and we privately have shit on this company a lot, but I feel it's the same way with Blumhouse. And that at least it's like. I think that a lot of shit comes out of Blumhouse, but at least it's a production studio that's willing to give a chance to new directors and young directors and people sure. with, like, these unique stories. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that there's studios that exist where, you know, as problematic as Miramax was, it's kind of doing the same thing that Miramax did in the late 90s, early 2000s with you know, Miramax and Dimension and um, whatever their other studio was um, at the time or their other production. <coughs> oh, pardon me. So, anyway, so yeah, I wanted to put those two together and talk about yeah. them together. And um, I definitely think that it's um, both worth checking out if you're into like more esoteric or, you know, It's um, a good you have to work a little more to get into than are just like.
0: I think that's what I. I think one of the things I enjoyed about like so, I, I watched a Green Night in two sittings because I ended up watching it on my computer. Um, and the other night I told you like through the first half I was like, ah, eh, it's fine. Like, you know, it's it's somehow a movie one that I thought got. Better and maybe, maybe maybe the more I yes. got into it, like the the more I was maybe it's just the longer it goes on and you get used to the pacing and the pattern, the better it gets. Maybe, but I mean I can understand where the pacing is a bit ponderous, right? Like you know I, I think I saw somebody somewhere say that like all scenes are given equal weight and I, and I can't necessarily disagree with that. Like there there could be maybe some better editing that goes on in this movie, sure. like, but. And the other thing I think is really dumb is I hate the title cards on it. Um, I fucking despise the title cards. Like, if I really want to nitpick, but we've talked about this a lot on this podcast about like me and my shit with like Arthurian legend. I I like this movie. I thought it was good, like overall. Like I, and like I, in terms of filmmaking, like Lowry's like out of this world like i mean like he's he's done something amazing here um and the acting solid throughout it deb patel is really good i think um i can't remember her name um it's not the woman that plays lady the lake but um uh the girl that was in um Oh god damn it! Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, in that scene, I think she's really good. In that scene, um, uh, uh, Aaron Aaron Kellyman. Um, I think she's really good. I, I, she's gonna be somebody at some point. Aaron Kelly Aaron Kellyman. Um, and I, she's the one that the- plays the
1: the headless widow
0: yeah by the by by the lake or whatever yeah Uh, like yeah yeah that's her yeah Winifred um is his name the character but yeah um and I I expected to like despise this movie from the description that I heard of you guys in the theater and then when you like did your flip where you're like this movie's really good actually I was like (laughs) Like, I was like, okay, like, because you do that a lot, like, where it's like, you'll like watch something, and then it's like, you'll want to like it, and then like, suddenly you'll like change, like, no, this is better than I thought it was, like, and I was like, okay, Frank, this is a good movie, and I think the thing that I like most about it is that Lowry... Larry doesn't give a fuck what people think about this movie. Like like there, there there is um to to use masculine language. There there is balls to this in the sense of like I'm going to make this like ancient fucking tale in this like kind of pretentious and really beautiful way. And not really change too much and I'm going to make you watch it On my terms, because this is an actual art house film. This is actually like how filmmaking works. And then I like love seeing people react to it and be like, oh, this movie is terrible. Like, you know, like it's so boring. and It's so like plotting and like, I don't understand like what's going on in it. And I love that shit because this guy just like was like, okay, this is the movie I'm making and just did it. And, you know, if you are really into film. Like you understand what this guy's doing. Like this is a really well executed, like directorial. Like has this guy done anything else? I didn't even look him up. Um, I'm really man, bad
1: about knowing things like that anymore.
0: The old man, the gun, the ghost story, the ghost story. I've oh, ghost story, ghost story is fantastic. Pete's dragon. Um, I, I think.
1: Evenbody Saints and Ghost Story are both really good. Okay.
0: Um. So anyway, this this guy like really proved himself here. Like to me, like th- this, this guy's a player potentially. Um. And just just based on this movie, and um, again, I'll be really interested to see like what this guy's next movie is now. Um. It looks like it's Peter Pan and Wendy. Which um, is this a uh, CGI thing? Um, live action. Okay. I fucking hate Peter Pan. I'll watch this Peter Pan movie just based on this guy. I fucking hey, despise I, Peter Pan. Can
1: I explain a little bit why I think you like this movie even though you hate Arthurian Legend? Okay. I think that most movies that are about Arthurian Legend are so invested in the idea of like capturing the majesty and weighty import of king arthur and the knights of the round table and camelot that they almost do that instead of like telling a story and i think that here the story and the visual and his vision is in the forefront and the arthurian part of it is Pushed mm-hmm. to the back, where yeah. it's in service of the story as opposed to the other way around. I can see that. I can I see think that. Maybe that's why you hate something like Excalibur because Excalibur is always like, you know what I think of it as. That's here's my reason. My visual... Sure. <laughs> here's here's my visual analogy to it. Okay. You know how in Clash of the Titans, like Poseidon lets the Kraken go. And he like looks up and he's got this look of like awe and you're like, like
0: trying to trigger me right now, aren't you? By mentioning yeah, 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 yeah back. yeah, yeah, uh-huh. but I
1: also think it's a really good comparison. But yeah. You know, like that face where it's like, uh-huh. oh, like I'm so in awe of this thing, right, right. That's yes. what things like Excalibur are. Is. It's like here's this classic tale that we're so enamored with and in awe of, and it's right. like. Whereas in something like the Green Knight, it's like, well, fuck it, you know, I'm telling my story in the way I want to tell it, and that shit's gonna take a backseat to, um, the story that I want to tell. Yeah. Which is why I love again, like I think it's, and I'm a huge fan of Arthurian legend, and we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, but I love the fact that it opens with you know, this is not that king, this is not that mm-hmm. story, like, that's mm-hmm. fucking like, so brazen and tells you right away, like, exactly to go fuck yourself, basically, with yeah. your like, precious love of, like, these, you know, antiquated legends, it's just, um, it's pretty yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I, I by the end of this, I, I like this movie, like, I think it's a solid movie, um, overall, and it's actually something I'll watch again at some point. Like, um, I'll never watch Excalibur ever again. But um, but I'll watch it Oh, movie. won't you? No, no, I won't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I got it. All right. So, number one on your list is 2021's Dune, directed by Dennis. Oh, no, sorry. This was the list that we made before that movie came out. Hold on. Um... <clears throat> sorry number one you, on you was list. that a joke <laughs> number one on your list is 2020's the father directed by florian zeller it stars anthony hopkins olivia coleman mark gatus i'm gene rufus Sewell, and olivia williams it has a 98 percent from critics on Rotten tomatoes 92 percent from audiences you want to tell us a little bit about this and why it's number one on the list um number one i could have talked about dune again <laughs> if that's where we were going, um, you know that
1: I watched it again. Did I tell you that the third time? No, no, I've watched it twice now.
0: Oh, yes, we talked about this extensively over text, and you got really like upset over my comments after you watched it again, and then you got even doubly upset over Bledsoe's off-topic comments about Nightmare Before Christmas, and basically accused us of both of being. Assholes who like could not appreciate anything in life, um, whatsoever. Yeah,
1: I stand by that claim.
0: Um, Dune's a bad movie, and that looks really nice, and that's it. It's
1: not a bad. See, oh, it's, a, right. bad let's, it's let's, a bad let's movie. It's bad. Let's talk about the
0: It's bad narrative. It's bad narrative. For you know. Her. You know
1: what it is. You know what your problem is.
0: You just watched Lynch's last night, and you just told me like how much better that Lynch movie is compared to Dune because
2: I said it was it can actually more tell. Watchable.
0: Well, right, because it can tell a coherent narrative in a shorter shorter amount of time. And-
1: Lynch's Doom is one of my favorite David Lynch movies. I think Lynch's Doom is amazing. Anyway, we're, this is not what we're talking about. I want to talk about the father. <laughs> You're the one that fucking brought up Doom, you fuck.
0: Well, right, that, the first, first of all, that's what you get for um, throwing the Green Knight at me with Less than a week, and then, um, and and then trying to like pull some shit by putting lamb at number two. Like, come on, all right. So, <laughs> it's um, not your
1: list, motherfuckers. This is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> You're Sorry. just the host. I, the,
0: the father's a really good movie. I don't want to take away from this.
1: <clears throat> one of my favorite movies in recent memory, um, and also maybe one of the most. devastatingly like brutal movies to watch honestly probably the most horrific movie on this list from the aspect of like true like human horror um the father is the story of anthony hopkins um titular father character um who's in the advanced stages of alzheimer's or dementia um, And that's it, really. Like, just him living his life with the inability to know from one moment to the next where he is or who's around him or what gen, like, what year it is or what the sequence of events that just happened are. Um, And it's told in a way that's not condescending and it's not gimmicky. It's just, seriously, like, it builds. It builds your affection for this man, while not making him fully sympathetic, because you get the impression that he wasn't always. That he's got some complexity to him as as a father and as a, a man, and just the way that it kind of like pulls the rug out from under you consistently, as you're watching it, and like you feel like you know. Who he is, and then it kind of changes his demeanor or his approach, or he goes from being this, like, quiet, friendly, humble, charming, you know, gentleman to being this cantankerous, aggressive, mean-spirited, like, brute almost, to like a child confused and lonely and asking for his mother and then not being able to recognize who his daughter is or who his daughter's husband is or where he's living I mean it's just it's hard to explain the movie's about a man who has alzheimer's and that's all you really need to know going into it and if you know someone who suffers from that condition it honestly is like a gut punch over and over and over again um I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I have a a close relative of mine that's that currently is is suffering from similar, um, a similar condition. I live with my parents for a number of years, and like I've I've seen these things happen, like this confusion and this change of almost like immediate sea change of personality. And it's Hopkins. Hopkins is a guy that's gotten shit on on this podcast in the past because. I find Anthony Hopkins to be very hammy and very ham-fisted at times in the way that he portrays things. But I don't know how this wasn't the best performance of last year. Like this 100% is one of the greatest, most powerful, most memorable performances I've ever seen an actor give. And one of the best characters that they don't use a traditional narrative to get you to like learn who that character is and yet still do such a fantastic job of like investing this man with like life and history and humanity and it's just done, it's I don't know, I I, I think it's a triumph of filmmaking, I think it's one of the one of the best movies I've seen in a really long time. it's a movie that made me like tear up and laugh and like just seriously like made me feel like cold and clammy inside and like made me think about my parents and made me think about other older people I know that are in similar situations and like worry for those people and like to have that huge range of like emotions be able to be, like pushed on you from a movie over the course of what
0: like 90 minutes like it's not even like a super. it's long like 92 movie. minutes or 93 minutes or something yeah
1: it just um amazing and 100 percent like if you've never seen this movie i think it's on prime now right or it's
0: no nah, it's on stars right now
1: okay right i was gonna say it's free for frank somewhere
0: yeah. Otherwise, um, otherwise, it's like twenty dollars, but it's worth it. it. It would be worth just to get stars for the month, like for seven dollars. Just
1: yeah. I days. mean, just just see it. Like it's it's something I kind of even like. We, we didn't make fun of it, but we sort of like dismissed it when it was announced for the Oscars. Of like, oh well, it's just almost like a lifetime achievement, like Anthony Hopkins Oscar beat thing. But dude, like, so worth watching.
0: Yeah, and then it, and and look, I the. The Oscars, like, um, that year were, <clears throat> um,
1: sorry, man, I'm sick,
0: right? Um, <laughs> so the Oscars that year were Anthony Hopkins, Rizomed um, for sound of metal, Chadwick Bosman for Mama Rainey's Black Bottom. Gary Oldman for Mank and Steven Yeun for Minari. Um, which is another A twenty four movie that we've talked about on the podcast. Um talk about Minari. That's what I said that's another one that we've talked about, like for A twenty four. Like it was one that we oh, didn't right. talk about just like a little while ago. Like we didn't mention their list. But um yeah, I can I mean I've seen three of those performances. I still haven't watched Ma Rainey's, but I'm gonna be honest, like as much like, I like Chadwick Bosman's performance and things I've seen. Like, it was a posthumous, you know, posthumous, you know, like nomination. Like, and then, like, Riz Ahmed, like, I've seen him in things I like, like The Night of. Um, I can't bring myself to watch The Sound of Metal. I just can't. Um, <clears throat> I wish I could. But um, it was okay. Yeah. Uh, Hopkins. I don't like Hopkins like I, I think he's like the shape most Shakespearean of Shakespearean actors um, and overdoes a lot of his performances that this is a master class in acting and I can't deny that like whatsoever um, it feels like a horror movie at times Yeah, definitely. Um, like as, a, as opposed to like a drama um and it's
1: it's it's the most horrific movie on on this list. Sure,
0: yeah, over top of the actual horror movies. Um, well, they they call it psychological drama, is what they call it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's like a damn horror movie, and that's like mo- like if it has criticism, like it's that it's like it leans too much into the horror of it. But um, I think that's kind of like the whole point to some degree. Um, so people are missing Actually, the if- point
1: if if you take it and make pair it with um the relic they actually pair really well in terms of sure art. sure um cuz the relic is pure horror in that respect and then this is uses horror elements to evoke mood and whatever but um yeah
0: yeah the the other thing i want to credit in this a lot is rufus soul um who I haven't seen a lot of in a long time, but he was the best part of whatever that terrible Amazon series that I watched most of um was um with the Nazis, like what if the Nazis Oh, the man, on, the man in the High Tower. The Man in the High Tower. Yeah, High Castle. Um High Castle, sir. And yeah. Um I watched everything with the last season of that because Brandy and I started watching the last season and like we're we can't do this. It's terrible. Um, but Rufus is fucking great in that show, and Rufus Sewell proved himself to me yet again here. Like that guy being menacing and just a dick <laughs> in this movie is really credible, like extremely yeah. credible. Um, and 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 and, and Gatiss, like you know um who's probably like most well known for playing Sherlock's older brother on the Sherlock um BBC show um he's also like creepy and like off putting like in in this as well um and yeah this is just a really solid movie um and like it's not even solid it's a great movie and Hopkins is just amazing uh in this um i it's nothing I can deny for somebody who like hates a lot of his performances, so yeah, this is the one like from a just like a generic standpoint, yeah, from like just like you know like a general audience standpoint, this is the movie to watch
1: yeah there was there was never any doubt that this was the number one movie, yeah, once I watched it,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I um, I try to get people to watch this, and a lot of people are very hesitant to. Um, like my parents don't want to watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've talked to people at work and tried to get them to because, a hundred percent. Like, if you know someone that suffers from dementia or Alzheimer's, in any stage of it, it will. It seriously is like getting punched in the stomach, like watching this movie, because you're I, gonna see like things that you know like over and over. Uh,
0: I I don't have as much experience as you do. I just had a one of my grandmother's best friends that lived across the street had that, and um that was just hard to watch from like just some like distance and like some exposure to it and yeah i can't imagine having to like live like with it um that's 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 really tough so i know you like nomadland nomadland one last year yeah do you like this better than nomadland you've seen most of these movies actually so Nomad Land, The Father, you haven't seen Judas and the Black Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you still didn't. Did you watch Mike? You didn't watch Mike, did you?
1: I did. I watched. Oh, that. you
0: did? Okay. Um, and then Minari, Promising on what you've watched, Sound of Metal, which you've watched, and you probably never watched The Trial of the Chicago Seven, right? Um, so, his father. As far as the
1: the... Woman is really disappointing that that was nominated. Mm-hmm. So, that is, father is The Father the best
0: movie on that list?
1: Yes, and Nomadland is second. Okay, right. Nomadland—it's—I'm never going to be able to convince you to watch Nomadland, but it is legitimately in the same way that I feel about like where the whereas the father is a very purposefully stylized portrayal of a thing, Nomadland is the opposite, where it's a completely stripped down portrayal of. Mental illness and societal illness, kind of. Hmm. Yeah, um, in a way that's. I mean, like, you'll
0: get me to watch it. If you find out a list to put it on at some point. Yeah,
1: so. it's um, in a way where it's 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 engaging and human, and funny and sad and one of Frances McDormand's best performances ever. Hmm. I think
0: interesting because she's got a lot of good ones. So F- Florian Zeller. His next movie is called The Sun. Um, so he's I, I did a little bit of research into him, it's actually kind of difficult because he's French. Um, so you have to do a lot of translation, but he's um, he has a trilogy of plays. Um, basically, it's the mother, the father, and the son. Um, and the um, the son movie that he's getting ready to do upcoming is Hugh Jackman and. Laura Dern as the primary stars and then but Hopkins is signed on. So I have no idea whether there's any crossover between those plays or if they're just thematic titles. Um whatsoever. But I'm really interested to in seeing like what that's about. Um with with that cast. Um
1: so, Yeah, there's yeah. no Wikipedia page for the play itself. Right. Yeah. Liffy.
0: Yeah. Um there, there, there is one. I I looked it up. It's in it's in French, and um, it talks about like a seventeen year old like living with his mother, and the father has just had a child with a new partner. So I, I'm wondering if like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll be really really interested um to see what's going on there. Like if it, it sounds like the son actually is like a set like a seventeen year old. So uh, it seems like. Jackman and Laura Dern, the mother and father. Um, So, but yeah, I'll be interested to see what's what's going on there. Um, Like, like that guy is like I looked him up, like trying to figure out like what his deal is, and um, he has some movies like that he's done. Um, They're all French, like it seems. So. This is the first English language, so I'll be really interested to see what he can do English language wise, like after this, which the sun will be. So, um, yeah, that's exciting. Like, uh, th- this is why I like the Fresh Vibe is because it makes me excited for new newer directors and filmmakers and stuff like that. Um, and people that I can, like, kind of pay attention to going forward, like I used to, like, back in the day.
1: Um, yeah I feel the same way I mean I like to I get all excited when I watch a movie that is newer or that I've never seen before and it's like oh man like I can't wait to talk about this and get get you to watch it and hopefully other people to watch them too but yeah sure I look forward yeah. to the two times a year we do the fresh five.
0: Yeah, I I always do too, and I think it's because like you never stopped, but like I stopped for a while, like paying attention to that stuff because like I just got so bored, and like now it's like there's people that are actually out there for me to be excited about again. I think, um, yeah. and aren't just making the same old bullshit over and over like they were for a while. So, um, well,
1: a lot of that I think is the fact that you can. I mean, obviously, it still is a huge expense to operate a movie studio, but it's not like the prohibitively huge expenses that it was when you only had four or five studios make a movie you know i mean like sure you can make a film and get a film distributed and be like a small you don't have to sell your soul to basically like make a movie anymore And i think that shows in just the variety of stuff that we've been able to talk about and see over the past you know
0: and it's it's, it's a variety of filmmakers right i mean it's like you have like you know you have two you have two black female directors on this list right i mean um you have a frenchman who's directing in english for the first time you have david lowry with an indian star um of the movie you have this like icelandic movie which we never get damn films like coming from over there um it's like, We just have more diversity in, like, behind the camera and in writing and in what's being focused on in film. And I think that's a hell of a lot more interesting than which, is I've always said, is why I stopped watching movies for a while is because everything was Little Miss Sunshine. And yeah like, n- now we actually have new stories and interesting stories that are being told that haven't been told before. Um and in different ways and yeah i find it much more exciting now film than i did you know 10 to 12 years ago um overall
1: but you know i think the reason for that is that it's not some studio exec saying like oh little Miss sunshine that's what people want to see you know it is like a24 going out and grabbing sure sure whatever and like hey this is something that's visually interesting or it's funny you mention that. I didn't even think about the diversity on this list when I was making the list. I was seriously just thinking about um, what I enjoyed. And honestly, like if I would have watched it before today, there's a good chance that the Marvel movie, um, Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. and the Ten Rings would have made the list because that movie's fucking fantastic too. Definitely worth watching if you didn't see it in the theater. Um, it's free on Disney Plus now, and it's a hundred percent worth the two hours and twenty minutes of your life. Yeah, Aquafina uh-huh. too, man. Did we do we ever talk about? <laughs> did we talk about the farewell? Yeah, we the talked Black about on
0: podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I can never remember. I would say twenty four as well.
1: Yes, and fantastic. I I she's in, Shang Chi, and she's my maybe my favorite part of the whole movie. Um. I'm excited to see like other stuff that she does because I like her a lot. Oh, as I lose my voice from being sick mm. for the whole week, and not taking care of myself ever because I'm an idiot. So yeah,
0: because just took off work for <laughs> number one. what's up? Because just could have took off work for a couple days in a row and tried to get yourself better.
1: But. Actually, that's that would have worked. I really think if I would have just taken even one day in its entirety off, I would have been fine. Instead, I with that get up and interrupt my sleep and then going to work and just
0: Mm -hmm. um yeah all right well thank you frank that was i i think even if i kind of half shit on a couple of them like i i really enjoyed watching all these movies um they all have merit to them um and uh yeah as always i enjoyed the fresh five like
1: thank you yeah it it was fun to do so
0: That Peter Pan movie has um, Jude Law playing Captain Hook. And Alan Tudyk and um, Molly Parker um, that played um, uh, the Widow Garrett on um, Deadwood is are playing the parents in it. Um, I don't know anybody else. Uh, I know Jim Gaffigan as Mr. Schmee, but um, I know him. But, um, yeah, I don't know a lot of other people in that movie. But is it a Disney movie? Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. So, um... But still, oh my god, have you seen Lowry? Yeah. Okay. Did you see he's that mustache?
1: Pretty much, he's pretty much what I expect. It's like...
0: <laughs> it's It's like an emaciated Billy Corgan with a giant mustache.
1: The world is a vampire.
0: He looks like a vampire. Um. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, good movie, though. Good movie. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, we'll be back in two weeks um, on you know, Thanksgiving weekend for um, the top five films of
1: 1971.
2: Yeah. yeah. Good list. Yep. Have a good night. All right, deuces.